This week, we hit the source of all weakness, public education. So, what's the story? Well, it appears that a lot of teachers are telling us they're not getting paid enough and that their working conditions are terribly poor. But what they're actually saying is they're not happy with 12 weeks vacation a year. Furthermore, they're upset because of their measly working hours and five-day working weeks. In fact, I myself, Steve Fox, was once a teacher and I can tell you that teaching is one of the weakest and slackest jobs that a human being can perform. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Posh presents a televisual event, a show, a monthly show that we're doing while all of this epidemic quarantine stuff is going on in which Bartek and I talk about a television show. We don't use the talk TV, but hey, times, they are a-changing and they are a-weird and we do miss the mystery box, but for the time being, we're doing this, talking TV. Bartek. And what's your name? Bartek, that's my name, and you're Ryan. I'm Ryan, and that's Bartek. Bartek, how are you? I'm doing well. That's good for you. <laughs> you're not going to ask how I'm doing? Ryan, you are doing well. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I'm doing well. Uh, oh, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I had set that up. I was waiting for you to ask me how I was going. I was going to say, oh, yeah, pretty good. We are here doing our show, a televisual event. It's still very new. We're still figuring out. This episode, we are going to be talking about a cult, cult classic Australian television show that very few people have, unfortunately, very few people have seen, Double the Fist. So before we actually talk about it and get into it and get into our history, relationship, and what we think about it and, and what the show is... I am giving a little PSA right here to to these to you listening. If you have not seen this show before, it's on YouTube. Double the Fist, all 16 episodes are there. Just give the first few episodes a watch even and come back. Just watch the show, give it some time because this is a very underviewed show, a very undervalued show. Whether we like the show or not, do give it a watch, just a couple of episodes, they're only like 25 minutes long, and they're on YouTube, Double the Fist, a show that, just to give the pitch of it, a show in which a group of people, a fictional, sorry, a group of people, fictional characters, which is the twist to it, are doing these death-defying stunts of a sports variety, and eventually later kind of crazy varieties, a kind of a riff on what was popular at the time. It's of, like it's like a jackass reality game showy kind of thing. In which these people are uh, trying to earn the iconic award, the Full Fist, which is the glorious award that shows the world that you are the most awesomest person ever. You've achieved this transcendent level of masculinity, of awesomeness, of full fist. The highest honour of the show's ideology. And the show's ideology, in turn, is about taking seemingly average mundane things and eventually cranking that up, and taking these seemingly mundane things, such as abseiling or, like, uh, uh, triathlons and stuff, and adding a death-defying 
fist nature to it, which is adding absurd things like abseiling, jump off a cliff without any safety ropes or anything. Just do that. To take away the weakness. To take away the weakness from things. Reality television, but how about we actually kill them? That's the pitch of the show. They use special effects. They're fictional characters. It operates on a cartoon logic where people die and then they're back. That's the show. Give it a watch on YouTube. It's right there. I don't know if the creators of the show... Like, I don't know what the whole deal is with it being on YouTube. Because this is a show from the ABC. And just a little quick rant from me. I own this show on DVD in my hometown. So my parents have the DVD copy. I could not, for the life of me, find a physical copy of this show. And since it's a small Australian show, it's not on ABC's website or iView, and it's not one that you can easily torrent or download and stuff. The easiest access is on YouTube, and I yeah, is, personally is... would love... A f- I only have... I actually did order a physical copy of Volume 1, which is the first four episodes. Could not find the second season, could not find Volume 2 with the other four episodes... And I really, really wish that this show, and this is just me ranting, all Australian comedy shows, the smaller ones, such as Life Support, Review with Miles Barlow, this, really cult classic or great shows, they have a lifespan of distribution for a couple of years and then they're gone and it's kind of like they didn't exist anymore. That's kind of how I feel. And then you see they're on YouTube and I don't know, I personally don't know if they're like, you know, approved by the creators of the material of their yeah, on YouTube or not. Because isn't the channel they're on something like Double the Fist Archive or something? Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's cool. And like, is it and a if, fan? Is it Craig Anderson? Or if is, it? is it approved by the people? Because I love this show. This is my his, this is my relationship. I love this show. I want to own physical copies of it because Bartek, the DVDs are fucking amazing to this show. They've got so much character. All the behind-the-scenes stuff is really funny and very self-referential. And there's a contempt for the ABC very strong in it, <laughs> which we'll get into. But, uh, yeah, the DVDs are great. But I just... Lil Rand, I wish that the distribution of this was more readily available. But this is just me complaining about Australian television in general. It's kind of like they're just shows that they're gone. Even big shows like Fat Pizza. I cannot find for the life of me old Fat Pizza episodes outside of having to go to the darker side of the web or YouTube or whatever. Mm. It annoys me as someone who wants to appreciate these shows, watch them, own them, that if you weren't buying the DVD within the two-year life, like the two-year span of him being released on television and then released on DVD, then you have no chance of ever watching them again. Yeah, for, for a country that seems to really value its, you know, local products. Yeah, it's yeah, weird. Like I mentioned a show I love is Review with Miles Barlow. Can't find that on DVD. It's on YouTube, and I specifically don't think that that one's approved because it's kind of zoomed in. And All right. This one seems like I don't know if it's approved or not, but that's just me raving and ranting about my disdain for this. I love this show. If I can get into my history since I'm talking, I saw this show when it kind of first aired. I didn't get to see it on the TV itself. My parents recorded it because this is one of those shows where typical Australia. You air it at a certain time, first episode or two, and then you push it back. You push it back and you push it back and you keep pushing back the time, change up the days, whatever, to the point in which no one can watch the show. 
Right, yeah. So my parents would record the show and we would watch it. And then eventually we bought the DVDs. And the DVDs were a struggle. Volume 1 was easily available. Volume 2, it was like searching for the fucking Holy Grail. Eventually got it. Never got season 2 on DVD. Never was out in my area. And then by the time I came down to Melbourne, I kind of forgot about it. Because by then it was like seven years ago at that point or eight years ago. So... Here we are. I love this show. I I show I would show off this television show to all of my friends in my hometown. I would give them DVD. We would marathon it. We would chat about it. We would do our own version of it. In high school, we did like the video projects, and one of them was like a, a, a recreation of an already existing piece of media. And we did a double the fist. We did like the first 10, 15 minutes of the high school one, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> that was the womp. And that's the kind of thing. We love this show. And I love this show. And I would show it off. And it's just one of those things. But I've never in my life met someone who has seen this show outside of me showing it to them. Right, yeah. And that's just so disappointing. Because I think that this show has a lot going for it. And it's just so uniquely Australian. And has a comedy sensibility that rings true to my comedy sensibilities. And I love showing it off. I just love watching it. I just ingratiate this show every few years I'll just to be honest when I was re-watching the show for for this only out of courtesy for my wife did I restrain myself from just watching the first season in one sitting that's the kind of show this is hmm. I would just watch it in one sitting if I was allowed or if I you know didn't feel like courteous to someone else but I would just watch this in one sitting Bartek what's your relationship in history with the show Ryan showed it to me just one just the first episode it was on YouTube. <laughs> it was on YouTube. It was that. It was the one that I watched. You seemed to enjoy it at the time. You seemed to enjoy yeah, yeah, it at yeah. the time. Mm -hmm. um, I remember it's a thing of people realizing very slowly that it's a fake show with special effects yeah. and stuff. Because you are a fan of um, those 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 cheap stuff, jackass yeah. boys. Yeah, the few things I've seen, I've enjoyed. You've talked about them in high regard, so that's why I'm like, you seem fan. So you kind of watching this, I remember, and it, there comes a point where you're like, oh, this is fake. <laughs> is it the panda bear suit that it pops <laughs> up and all that? But um, what did you think of the show? Yeah, so the first viewing, which was like two years ago, I think it was... On Australia Day. I think it was on Australia Day when you were showing off your, your special playlist. Mm-hmm. Um, Men in Australian comedy playlist, one of which had an accent so Australian, Bartek thought it was another language. Yes, until till the very, very uh, understandable <laughs> accent spoke English. I'm like, oh, this is in English. And I've gone back to that video. I'm like, oh, of course, it's in English the whole way through. <laughs> um, this is from somebody who speaks another language himself. And he's like, it's well, it didn't, another language? Well, well, it didn't sound like Polish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it sounded like to you. <laughs> It sounded like gibberish. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I, so Polish then. Yes. I, I can speak Polish because gibberish is easy. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it that first viewing. Uh, it, even though it was a realization of like, oh, I see, the, I see what this show is. Even two years later when I'm finally sitting down to watch the whole thing, continuing watching it, it was still, it still subverted my expectation. Like, oh, I didn't realize it would be like this. So my, my whole idea was like that every episode would just be, you know, 
an episode from this sort of fictional universe in which this show is real. Yeah. But then as the show goes on, there's a lot of, like, meta narrative things going on to the point where it kind of stops being it yeah. for the most part, I guess you could say. You mean season two? Season two especially. <laughs> yeah, season two is a whole kettle of fish. Yeah. Uh, so, did you like the show? I I liked the first season and I liked parts of the second season. Congratulations, you are someone who has watched Double the Fist because that's the exact consensus. <laughs> I liked the first season and the second season is a weird kettle of fish and I don't understand it and it's weird and it's bizarre. So a bit of context for you, Bartek, and a bit of context for listening people. This show originally like aired in the mid-2000s. I think it was 2004 and 2008. ABC didn't really support it, or at least it seemingly didn't do its job in doing it. It won an AFI award over Kath and Kim, the AFI award, Australian Film Industry Award, uh, as the comedy show of that year. It won it over the famed and beloved Kath and Kim. Somehow it won it, and yet ABC didn't support it very well. It was kind of like its ugly duckling of a show that probably, probably it just kind of pushed back and pushed back. Yeah, well, probably because Steve Fox was rude to them. Yeah, I wonder if that's a thing that is a byproduct of how they were being treated. But it won an AFI award, and it basically, the show winning that kind of made it kind of like it spat in the face of everything we stood for because Kath and Kim was the most beloved thing ever, and this fucking show that no one's seen before, and it looks like a vile, mean show, won over the beloved Kath and Kim. And, and then it got cancelled. And. It was unfortunate, one season show, weird little show, and then somehow, a few years later, it got brought back because the audience demanded it. And the ABC obliged and brought it back for some reason. And the second season is, they're brought back, they've got a bigger budget, or at least seemingly bigger budget with what we see in the second season, Mm. and they've been brought back with large ambitions. The first season, small ambitions. Ambitions within the budget kind of ambitions. Yeah. And the second season is a revival. It's a return. It's Twin Peaks season three, in which <laughs> it's completely different from the other product, but also it's so related to it that you can't separate it. I love season one. Season two, I do not like, but we could talk about that when we get into season two, because season two is a fascinating, fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. Season one, it's hard to say if there's a favourite episode, but was there any that stuck out to you? I really enjoyed the Fear Factory episode. I think that was episode four. Four. Yeah. What about it? So explain that one. So in this episode, they're making fun of reality TV shows where everything is, you know, it, it's all fake or, or yeah, your not, fear factor not as yeah, not as real as reality suggests. Um, and this one has. Uh, the the team split into two with some added guests, two guests each. Ugly the Dave, the famous Australian comedian, Ugly Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're being put into this factory that Steve has acquired and put a bunch of, you know, weird things in, and their goal is to, well, was it just to make it out the other survive. end or something? Yeah, survive. Yeah, survive. They have to find their home base. They yeah. have to survive the deadly predators, which are flying sharks. <laughs> They're swimming, but they're not in water, basically. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're flying sharks. And, uh, yeah, they have to be the survivor of it all. 
Yeah. So you like that one? I yeah. There were there were some parts in that that I really liked. What about it really stuck to you? Because I love that episode, but I'm a toss up between that one and the Fist Athlon. The one where they that's have the one the, right before it. One yeah, right before one. the one where there's a time portal. And that's how we get the blue yeah. <laughs> the blue one. That's how yeah. we get him. But um, I think it was because this is the episode where I picked a favorite character, which was Steve Fox himself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, you were Steve fan, huh? Yeah. Which you know, when I say that season two, I only like parts of it. Uh, it's because maybe they didn't do what I wanted them to do with some things. But you yeah, mean Steve. Steve. Yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, there was just. It was here that I really started to notice his inflections on certain lines. Like, <laughs> it's in fact evil flying furniture. <laughs> that is one of the two major lines. Yes, um, but but like even in general, his his delivery in that first season is when he would uh, when he would commentate over something. He would sometimes do this like out-of-place, mocking, childish <laughs> voice. Like, he would say it like this, kind of. He has a real high nasal inflection. He reminds me of the uh, the uh, Australian media personality, John Saffron. Uh, he has that kind of inflection, naturally. Mm. And he kind of reminded me of that. I, I agree. Yeah. Steve's delivery vocally is his, so good. His inflection sounds like he's mocking a person he's talking to, but he's really just describing what's happening on screen. So it's it's this weird <laughs> contrast, and it's really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the other line? Uh, the other line was... Uh, so I guess there's a context to it, where it's it's when Mephisto has been taken over by the... Ancient, e- evil, demigod. Aztec demigod. Demigod housed in a stone head, of yeah, course. Yeah. Logic. Yeah, yeah. And he drives away in his car, and Steve Fox then turns to the camera... <laughs> And, like, he's going to deliver a line as if it's going to be in general. But it's like, if there's any Aztec demigods listening, and just, like, the fact that he's specifying Aztec demigods, like, just that. You, you better keep driving. <laughs> oh, God, I love that. Um, Yeah, this show's characters are very zany and very, uh, like, uh, up to 11 in their caricatures. Of, yeah. You know, you got the psychotic ex-security guard, you got the... The, the sportsman, the, the ladies, ladies man, sex pest, and then you got like the dumb heart, dumb, good hearted kind of wrestler guy, the womp, and then you got Tina T and the rest of them. Mm. Tina T is like the, 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 the Greek ch- girl. The, the chick. She's like the kind of wog girl who's like, I like Milden traps and like doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you got Steve Fox, who is the uh, mischievous observer. That's how I kind of describe him in the first season, because he's like, he's not involved in the things. He's he eggs them on to do bad things, such as one of my favorite Steve moments was in um. There's an episode. Okay, this show goes from let's take on abseiling, the weakest sport known to man, to let's take on terrorism. In eight episodes, like in seven episodes, that that episode's called episode seven. In case you didn't notice by yeah. all the graphics, yeah, let's take on terrorism but because it's. There's weak. an episode where they want to take on logging, and the Womp's idea to get into the logging complex is just to ride his bike head on into the gate and think that will break the gate. And Steve's reaction is just like, <laughs> "Good idea, Womp," and just like walks away and just watches in glee. He's like a chaotic ex- observer; like he just mm. loves the mischief of it, and that's the stuff I love about Steve because as a kid my favorite was the womp in mm. curly hair he was dumb he had some of the funniest scenes like the golf scene when they have to play golf and once they tee off the panda who is a a tertiary character 
starts hunting them with a Glock. And the Womp sucks at golf so bad that the panda has to teach him how to play golf. because yeah, the panda can't start hunting until he tees off properly. <laughs> so the panda gets pissed off and then just teaches the Womp like a whole little montage. It's really sweet. Like, you right, have the yeah. gun in the hand and everything. Very gently. It's like, hey, you did it. You did and it. And then, like, he did, you know, the Womp hits the ball, a little clap, grabs the... You know, the, 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 the bag with the clubs, the clubs yeah. and puts it in and then just bang straight in the backhand shoots the womp yeah, starts like walking away as if it's just a normal golf game and then just stuff like that with the womp really got me and I think also the womp's character really picks up when the blue womp is introduced and they introduce this idea that the womp is a tattletale and he's like a bit of a coward and he's a bit of a whiner hmm that was what I liked as a kid, and I liked that he was big and silly, and he had the dumb ideas, like wrap himself in bubble wrap to survive jumping off a cliff, or wrap himself in duct ta- masking tape and stick to a van, that kind of stuff. As an adult rewatching it, Steve Fox is the best fucking character in the show. <laughs> that performance is amazing. Craig Anderson nails it in that first season as Steve. Every every single thing he does is correct. There's not one moment like one of my favorites is when he's quoting um Confucius. And oh, then yeah. he says at the end Well he makes a statement about Confucius, yeah. And then he at the end he's quoting a Confucius statement and then at the end he's like, but I reckon I could kick his ass. And like just that I think, alone. I think he just says Confucius has said many wise things. I think he says like and he says like power is something or other. I reckon I could kick his ass. <laughs> and I just love shit like that because it's a dumb joke. But it's delivered with that inflection and that performance and you got the image of him splitting his legs and it's CG, mm. it's funny. And just the absurdity of his like, but I reckon I could, he could kick his ass. It's so Australian mm. in that regard of there's so many people we know and just stuff who are just like, that just have that kind of blunt perspective on things like there's this profound thing but I reckon I could just kick its ass and that's what's great about this show they take these simple things at start and do these dumb simple ideas of like oh Rod's going to survive the cliff jump by jumping really far and then they slowly crank it up to something more serious or something a little bit weirder like reality TV that's a bigger concept and then they crank it up to the public education system then they crank it up to logging, and then they crank it up to terrorism, and they're still doing these dumb approaches to it, like these very blunt force, like, well, if we just take out the terrorists, then it's over. Like, that's the attitude. Yeah, it's like, th- this character, how are you going to do this? How are you going to get rid of terrorism? Yeah, and it's something that you're like, yeah, you, that's what, that is what you do, now do it. <laughs> <laughs> now go do it. And that's what I love about that first season, Yeah, is that's the approach. You, you get this, eventually, you know, we deal with it, tough topics in the first season like terrorism sexual assault even Mm. and they still do it in this very immature australian bravado type way in which it's like well we're gonna sort this sexual assault out in steve's court which is in a squash court (laughs) and it's like all right you get to choose your weapons rod you go first shotgun or sword (laughs) like you're gonna sort of start like a duel And that's the kind of thing that I love is just that kind of silly, like dumb brute force mentality. And it's kind of like, to me, a commentary or at least a reflection on that kind of Australian psyche to a lot of things Mm. in which it's, oh, we can just sort this thing out because it's stupid and we can just sort it out with brute force. (laughs) And that's like any time a character approaches an intelligent solution to a problem they're immediately shut down. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That's stupid. <laughs> or the character could come up with a smart solution and then it's like, no, 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 no. 
we're not going to do that smart solution because that's not right. Like in the Fear Factory one, when Rod and Mephisto are arguing about which stairwell to take and Mephisto's like, it's obvious. And the one he's pointing to just says, who cares? Yeah. Says the answer. <laughs> like, obviously it's the other one, but he's just like, oh, come on, it's obvious. Um, Did you... Uh, okay, so... Like we said, this show deals with these topics and does this jackass-type stunt stuff with CGI elements. And <laughs> do you have any favorite kind of use of their implementing real stunts with CG? Uh, th- there was some way, like, when they end, it's like, uh, first it's, like, real, but then it becomes CGI. Like, I remember in the second episode when the when the old lady, was it Edith? Or Edith, e- Edith. Edith, when she's going down the slip and slide, and then right at the end, like there's this fast forward clearly edited bit where like she trips over mm-hmm. little bits like that where, where it kind of like blends like oh really happening but then CGI happening or when Rod explodes into a watermelon that they exploded earlier <laughs> when they <laughs> threw it off a cliff yeah yeah again because I'd only seen that first episode and that was my idea of what the whole show was even in that episode Steve Fox was a little bit different like he was a bit more rational like he <laughs> ran away from a grenade at one point <laughs> yeah yeah and well it, he would still do that in the rest of the season yeah 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 but but it, he seemed, he seemed more in like host mode. Yes. And then starting second episode, he just gets just a bit crazier, and then the rest of the season happens. Because the second episode's premise is there are people writing in saying that they're the biggest fans of the show, and that oh they're not fist worthy, they couldn't do this blah. And he's like, well we're gonna show that anyone can do it. Like, yeah. The second episode is in the universe that this show is very popular already, even though there's been one singular episode <laughs> of it. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, you, you start to get the, the ideology of the show, which is, like, obviously, yeah, cr- don't be weak, be fist-worthy, but also that they're there to help the weak to become fist-worthy. Exactly. And obviously, this is a joke, of course, because the weakness and the way that they approach this is just so... It's a very Australian mentality to these kind of issues or these kind of things there's been many times in our lives living in australia in which you are experiencing something very very tough and you express that this is tough for you and you'll get some really weird macho bravado australiana piece of advice of how to solve it the basically suck it up darling you'll get over it kind of attitude and this show kind of amplifies that to a (laughs) ludicrous degree in which you have characters who are are not sure of themselves, and then Steve will basically yell in their face that they're a fucking weak dog and they need to get over <laughs> themselves, and then they're like, you're right, Steve. You're right. And even, like, with the letter of the week, spelt W-E-A-K, like, mm-hmm. a lot of them are really positive and, like, they're really into the show, and he's like, don't watch this anymore, you're weak because my, of this thing. My favourite letter of the week was from that one person who thought that they could join the Fist team, and and Steve's like, ooh, aren't you? Well, he's you. And it's like a, a a box, like with a face on it on a stand, and then he and he's just like Steve is like, here's you, and you're writing a letter. Ooh, you're so smart, you're so clever, like you're so much contempt. And then it's like, here's you in your kitchen baking a birthday cake for your dog. Here's your dog, and it's just a box with nothing drawn on it. And here's your cake that you made for your dog, and here's me kicking your dog's ass. Yeah. That's beating it. He just like walks in frames, starts kicking this boxes this box of it then he's like kicking that kind of absurdity is what i love and that's probably my favorite letter of the week because it's just mm. so 
absurd. But yeah, yeah, all of all of the like eye catch or like transition scene stuff is all like bizarre, no context. Like here it is. Like one of the ones that I was fond of was just whenever <laughs> it was basically there. Who's that Pokemon? Like what was weak? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh god. And like, so to give context. Yeah. It's like this thing that's already been smashed or squashed with a bat, and then yeah. it, it gives you a chance to guess yeah, it what it was. Gives you five seconds to guess. And then what it reverses the footage, and it's like it's a garden gnome <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. And they only did a few of those. Yeah, like, yeah, only like two or three. That's the thing. This show is filled with little cutaway gags yeah cutaways that's that's in which you have say this segment is the womp telling you about history and how this piece of history is very fist worthy like the iceberg sinking that titanic is one of the most fist worthy natural events in all of mankind's known history or mephisto knows in which mephisto the insane security guard tells you some fucking scary yeah, he piece gives... of advice on how to solve a problem like vegetarianism. Yeah. He has a rant about something in society and then how he deals with it. And it's very psychotic and crazy. The, the best one of those, I think we can both agree, is in episode 8 when it cuts to Mephisto nose and it's just a, a shower and he pops up and he's clearly naked and jerking himself off. We only see his head and shoulders and he and he's breathing heavily. He's covered in sweat and he just goes heterosexuals and it cuts <laughs> off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve just goes, too hot for TV, <laughs> Mephisto. That's the kind of stuff I love, and that's the recurring thing that I think season one really nails down, is as absurd as these things are, such as Rod playing ping pong and is hitting a million balls, and then at the end he gets the the paddle thrown at him like it was someone else was there doing that, not just mm. like a machine. It always feels like it's commenting upon or making fun of that Australian macho, nitro-fueled masculinity kind of aspect of, uh, you know, the extreme sport. You know, you're not cool unless you like football, and you're not cool unless you like to do a fucking flip and break your back. That kind of attitude, and that was very prevalent during the mid-2000s, during our adolescence, that kind of thing, especially in rural Australia where I came from, mm. where a lot of people like, you ride, you don't ride a dirt, you don't ride a dirt bike without a helmet on, you fucking, you know, mag, like that kind of attitude. This show always has that running throughout, even in its sillier little cutaway gags. It's always about how absurd can we make that attitude? And especially back then when you had something like uh, jackass on TV in which is a show in which that's celebrating idiots hurting themselves mm. this is a show that is celebrating fake idiots hurting themselves who aren't real and they're not actually hurting themselves and they come back to life in the next episode it also and I, re- I really enjoyed this about it there were a couple of running gags that that first season had which was a uh, more meta look at when they're having to deal with like laws and stuff. So, like in the second episode, <laughs> they have a they have a scene where they're shooting something out on the street in a place called Canangra, and then a council <laughs> member comes and like completely derails the whole thing. And then for the rest of the season, Canangra and that council <laughs> member is just the honorable Philip Nugent, <laughs> the biggest punching bag that they can get. Then there's in in the Fear Factory episode and. Just on this episode alone, it's just a random thing that doesn't mean anything, but there's an there's like a sponsorship thing for Lakemba Lakemba Auto, Auto World. World. Where and Steve just says that's where he gets his cars from. Yeah, just a straight up ad, like call this, tell them my name, you get five percent off, and that's we, it for that episode. Which for context for 
international listeners in australia there's two like primarily the now just one channel abc australian broadcasting corporation they do not have ads commission oh commission sorry commission they don't have ads they only have ads for television shows of their own but they don't do sponsorships on there they're like that's not so a show cannot advertise something so steve is there advertising a local business that he is profiting from yeah and then nothing happens from that in that episode but then the next episode (laughs) steve has this cutaway moment where like it's a letter of the week letter of the week where he explains that like the abc is really pissed off at him for doing this (laughs) and they want an apology so he does a half-hearted fake apology which he says do not go to lakembo ottawa and the screen text comes up on the screen saying just lakembo ottawa doesn't say not and it's like do not call this number and he says the number on the screen he says the number do not mention my name for a five percent discount yeah he repeats the ad but but adding not (laughs) (laughs) that kind of stuff is always great because this is something interesting too the show presents itself like it's a cartoon logic and in the first few episodes it presents it like there are no lasting consequences outside of a single episode it feels like it's episodic television right yeah but then the fist athlon the third episode presents the idea that the Womp has cloned, like, multiplied himself a gajillion times. Yeah. And then episode four, Blue Womp enters the scene, and you're like, oh my god, they're carrying over something from the previous episode. This is unfounded. Yeah. Or, All, like, yeah. All but one of the clones died, and this one came for the rest and, of and the he's in, And he's in a few episodes. And yeah. then, from then on... You have these running threads, like the Kanangra thing keeps running through, and and the Blue Womp thing keeps running through, and Rod being a sex pest keeps running through yeah. the show. And and in, and in the episode where Mephisto isn't there, the school one, like the thing that happens to him at the end of the one beforehand is the, the thing. Fear Factory one. Yeah, is the thing that he's dealing with in the next episode when he reappears. Yeah, exactly. And there's just yeah, lots of running things that you don't expect at the beginning because like you said you think it's going to be like our first episode where they're just going to do these little yeah, two of them straight up died yeah and then, and then they, they're just back next episode and it's like a cartoon and you're thinking oh since it's a cartoon logic world like it's the wacky you know amazing races or yeah, whatever there's not going to be overarching elements but then the show yeah. says no no there will be. Yeah, it's not like the South Park thing where, like, at the end of every episode, it goes back to the status quo. No, this show's like, it does that, but also it doesn't. It does both. <laughs> and usually in the show, that would be annoying, or it wouldn't work, or it would be too odd. But this show, the first season, does a great balancing act of enough of a cartoony logic with enough of our real-world logic... Because you have real, real segments in which they're interacting with people like how low will you go, in which Steve is daring people to do horrendous things for the lowest amount of money possible, like drink bin water or eat five jars of mayonnaise. The bin water, I actually legitimately threw up. (laughs) What? I, I did. At first I was just retching and then I paused and like went back and then I was like, oh shit, some came out and I just had to run to the toilet. But... Garbage is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> the way he slows, they slow down his voice. Garbage is garbage. Oh my god, that guy! He did it for ten dollars. Thirty or thirty? Oh yeah, thirty, thirty. Yeah. Um, there was a guy who drank toilet water for ten dollars, and that's this is where the thing is too. Even some of those, there are some fictional aspects to some of those segments. So. The garbage garbage guy, that was a real guy. And the chick who ate the mayonnaise was a real person. But there were some people in there. 
that are friends and family or actors that are building up the scenes, such as there's a bit in the Eat Mayonnaise one where there's a guy with a moustache and glasses and, like, they're doing the... They keep bidding how low will they go with him and the girl who is Dutch. And (laughs) I love that. They have these great font choices and graphics. Like, whenever someone says no, the the screen will freeze and And a text will pop up saying weak or don't. Like a a stamp. And she just, this one girl just says she likes eating mayonnaise because she's Dutch. And then just Dutch Dutch. gets a stamp. Like, that's (laughs) something wrong. But there's this one guy and he he's like i won't do it for less than 50 dollars or whatever it is and and then he gets stamped with the week that's like craig anderson's dad and then he comes back being one of the advertisers for lakemba order world mm. so they have these kind of things or the toilet water one the guy who drinks the toilet water i'm not 100 percent, but i'm pretty sure that's the guy who plays the fictional character miles barlow in the tv show review with miles barlow because Craig Anderson, who plays Steve Fox, is a recurring character in that television show. So there are some trickery and aspects. And that's what I want to talk about. Trickery, Bartek. You know how there are TV shows that do that the man on the street thing? Yeah. The, the Chaser did it. This did it. Are there any examples that you can think of at a young age where you realize that those were fake? Or some of them were fake? Uh, like staged or done for right. show. Um, I think I didn't really watch as many of those. I think maybe when I was in high school and I was watching Chasers War, I was still kind of like iffy. I'm like, oh, this is really outrageous, and it's cool that they're doing this, but are they really doing it? Because it's like, mm. I think there was like an a current affair thing that's like they're faking it. Okay, so the Chaser, just for international listeners too. The Chaser are a comedy group, journalist group. They're like former journalists who really do wacky... They did wacky stunts, and they always were politically commentating on something or other. Yeah, satirists. And they were, you know, they would do their man-on-the-street routine, like a guy who speaks too loudly on his phone, and he's oh, saying... Yeah. Clyde, gross... Clyde the slightly too loud commuter. <laughs> yeah, and he would be saying gross things, or you'd, you'd have that kind of stuff. Mm. They had a previous show called CNNNN. I can't remember how many NNNs there are, but... I think it's just one or two too many. CNNNN. Chaser's non-stop news network, blah, blah, blah. They had a scene where they were doing a man on the street. And the man on the street they had was Mephisto from this TV show. Oh, really? And that's the first time I had ever realized that these were fake. As a small child. Because Mephisto, I found out later, is their graphic... Like, is their special effects graphic artist guy. Mm. He does their special effects because the guy, he does them for Double the Fist. He does them for the Chaser. And I realized, they're fucking lying. That's Mephisto. And then I found <laughs> out he fucking works for him. I was like, here's a fucking lie. I just want to bring that up because this show doesn't pretend the full time that it's ever real. Mm. So those how low will you go things pretend that they're real and they do have some realism there. I loved in episode eight, the special edition, when yeah. they cut back to Sharon, the one who did eat more than one jar of mayonnaise and the sun got her. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve just says, hmm, no one suspected the biggest enemy would be the sun or whatever. 
But my favorite part of that moment is Sharon's eating the mayonnaise and even Steve was disgusted. He goes, look, you can even see the disgust on my face and it zooms in and he's <laughs> fucking disgusted. But I'm really shocked to hear that you threw up at the bin water. Like, I, I, I never have any reactions to these kind of things. Yeah, I was... Like, so- I never have physical ones. I just go, maybe, like that. Maybe, I cringe a little bit. Maybe, maybe it's because I ate before and I do, like, the retching thing wasn't too unusual for me, but... Actually throwing up, that I was like, oh shit, I can't believe I did this. Mm. So, it's only a little. You liked Fear Factory, but just talk about specifics. Was there any specific sequence or set of events or scene in particular that you really dug? Whether they be one of the cutaway ones or like, say in Fear Factory, I really love the... No, it's not a poltergeist, but in fact, evil flying furniture. And then the fun sequence where Rod's fighting the furniture. That's like one of my favorite sequences in this whole entire show. But do you have any that pop out in this first season? Uh, well, definitely the poltergeist thing. And, and again, the whole the whole thing that there's an Aztec god, demigod here. Because <laughs> that's really bringing the supernatural... You know, not not even just like the, the back to status quo factor, but like within the episode itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of my other favorite, other than the golf, uh, other than the golf one, I think the golf one's my peak. Like, if I have to show a singular moment from the show to someone to pitch them the show, it's the golf one, because each character approaches the golf one in their character's way. Rod mm. thinks that he can just do it because of his natural skills as a sportsman. Yeah, and he fails. <laughs> Mephisto is psychotic and he has a whole speech where he's like, you know, highway, Steve, they have toll booths and in toll booths, they have the toll collectors. I'm the toll collector, Steve. And he just grabs out a knife, kicks the ball, throws the ball, and then he just goes hunting after the hunter, after the panda. Yeah, after the obstacle. And then he loses anyway because he plays the ball in the hole. Yeah, he actually kills the <laughs> obstacle, but then he doesn't play golf properly. <laughs> <Fucks> up. <laughs> and then the womp is just too dumb doesn't know how to play golf and he's not very good at anything and the show even addresses why they have the womp on there when he's so slow and dumb and doesn't really know what he's doing well early on he kept bringing up the fact that his big thing was his pain threshold but then as the show goes on it becomes you know weaker useless like not not really a thing no because he's a liar (laughs) because he's even lying when he's talking about that i feel or at least exaggerating but i the golf one's the one i would show but anytime you have a cutaway to steve it's hard to pick a favorite Steve. I like the Confucius one is just so silly and very in your face, but I do love the one too in Fear Factory. Again, the Fear Factory one has a lot going on, but the Fear Factory one I like is when he's got the letter of the week from those two women and they're like, Could we see more shirtless rod or whatever? And it's like <laughs> nice try Rod and he has a photo of Rod with those girls and he's just like if you're if you're if you're one of the contestants on this show trying to write in as a fictional person get out of here like never never watch this he does this thing I love that um another segment I do enjoy is when Steve just beats the fuck out of Blue Womp. Just like, it goes on for so long. The high school (laughs) punch-up. And it just goes, yeah, yeah, that whole sequence where it's been built up since, like, the previous, like, because the Blue Womp was getting on everyone's nerves as soon as he entered the show. Yeah. And then that episode, he just, like, cranks it up to 15. (laughs) Not even 11, 15. And it's just, he beats the shit out of him. Like, you think he's dead because he doesn't come back for a few episodes. And then, like, in the other episode, he's, like, terrified and crying. Because he has to shoot himself with a cannon. <laughs> yeah, Steve, he, his Steve's psychoticness was very high in the school one. Like, there was the segment, I think, just before the punch-up where 
it was Rod versus that girl. Mm. They were having like the competition. Like when you get a mathematical question wrong, you'll move the, closer towards the, a lawnmower that's on its side, and you'll get chopped up. Yeah, the difference from the correct answer to the answer you gave closer there. And he asks the girl like, "How much do I weigh?" And before he also asked to Rod. What number am I thinking of between one and five hundred? Yeah. It's like he's asking him these unfair questions. But I thought that would be a joke you would love. The how much do I weigh? And he's like, because he's a big, like yeah, he's a big he's guy. He's very, very, very big. And even in the action scenes where you see like his full form, it's like, oh yeah, this guy's big. And you, so you'd hear this, you'd imagine like, oh maybe he's sensitive about his weight. Maybe he's just curious. And you. I don't, you never really get an idea of what he's thinking when the girl gives the answer. Of like 85 kilos. Yeah, 85 kilos. Which isn't much. Which is 15 less than what I weigh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and he just, he has this weird smile the whole way through. He just like indicates like, all right, send her forward. And she goes all the way <laughs> into the lawnmower and dies. And you never get a sense of like, oh, he was offended or he was upset. It was just this really weird thing. Like he it was, was malicious. Am- he was, was am- a- he was amused by the answer. Because Steve too, as a character, he sets up impossible scenarios a lot of the time too. Not only because of the physical, but like, like reenact Gallipoli and and plant the flag and you win. And then the ones who lost won because that's what happened at Gallipoli. They all got massacred, and we should never forget that this this the the fact that we followed the English into death formed our country's mentality. Yeah, that's true. But that was a rigged match mm. because he said this is how you win, and then they the kids won that and they were losers because that's not how Gallipoli happened. Fuck you. <laughs> He does that a lot, and that's what I love about Steve. He's just chaotic. Like, that's what the... You said the psychotic thing. Season 2 embraced that weirdly, and we'll talk about that when we talk about season 2. But season 1, he was psychotic, but especially when he was interacting with our characters. He was only psychotic when he was pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. The blue mop was the whole episode was being wound up and being wound up and being wound up and being wound up, yeah. and then he just snapped. Because he was constantly like get away, leave me alone, go over there, stop talking. He was being a teacher. Yeah, this isn't, yeah, which he formerly was. Um, (laughs) That was one of my favourite speech, uh, opening speeches of the premise of the episode was weakness in education. Like, teachers, boo-hoo, you get, like, weeks and weeks of holidays, and boo-hoo, like, just basically shitting on teachers. Then he justifies it with, I was a teacher once, you don't hear me complaining. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is as someone who's doing teaching you must have loved that scene Rachel my wife who is a teacher she was fuming she's like fuck you Steve <laughs> yes yeah, so part of me was like I think I believe that <laughs> <laughs> but I love just the cutaway gags are, are really funny too like that's the thing like they're short they're sweet but they are really funny did you um, did you have any uh, standout cutaway gags that stood out to you that we haven't mentioned? Um, not really that it was funny, but there was that one where Rod was like juggling golf balls with a golf club. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah, just, yeah, like yeah. cool to look at. And then it was funny that like the whole thing was like really impressive. Then he just messes up at the end and it's like, no fist. Yeah, no fist. <laughs> what about the one where he loses his arms and then he starts wiggling his stump arms and he gets a double no fist? <laughs> yeah. Um, and even in the eighth episode, the special feature where like... Special edition. Special edition, sorry. Um, where 
all the deleted scenes are from episodes that didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. So there's like or no... they're from segments from episodes that clearly didn't exist either. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All whole episodes are just like that. Episode four wasn't about that. Like this episode, which was called Wonderland. Apparently. <laughs> um, did the the okay? This the basic thing of the show too is each episode is a competition. Who's yeah. going to win? With all of and we've seen these kind of things before, done serious or not. This is kind of like your, you know, wacky races, amazing races, where you got these ludicrous characters and you you root for someone. Did that work for you? Did you genuinely, in at least in some way, shape, or form, feel compelled about who was going to win? Were you rooting for anyone in any episode, or were you like, like, was there that aspect? that worked for you in the show of this is a competition. Each episode is competition of who's going to win. Did you have an investment in that at all? I don't think I did. Maybe in the smallest sense, sometimes the Womp had like an underdog thing going for him. But in general... You earned the most fists in the first I, season. I think you did, yeah. Definitely the first He won two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe sometimes for him, just because he is like a bit more of a lovable-ish character. But mm-hmm. in general, I I knew the fictional nature of the show, and I was just seeing how it all played out. But was there a favorite moment where someone won a full fist? Like, do you have one that you go, "Oh, that was great"? Because for me, it's when Mephisto won for the the, the, lo- the logging one. No, no, when he won. I actually remembered he for when he won the second episode with the amazing Darren, yeah, who who died, and he won't be joining us for legal reasons <laughs> as a as a co as a as a competitor on the show. That's I, probably one of my favorite ones because it's so absurd and that 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 was horrific. Like the guy's screaming. <laughs> Um, I, I guess with the logging one, just the funny aspect of he didn't even know they were doing a show, a game in right at the end and he won. And it was neat because you didn't realize he was going to be the evil antagonist. You didn't know there was going to be an antagonist in that episode. You were just like, okay. And then it's like, oh, there's a payoff here. huh? Yeah. And also the demigod was back. I, I did also appreciate, um, when, when, uh, when Rod won for the Fear Factory one because he just stayed in that one location with his gun. And that episode, you thought he was going to lose because he was... He, like, he was the, the horror movie antagonistic hero guy. You, all your team members have died. Do you feel like you let them down? Well, who's still here? Who let who down? Yeah, exactly. They, they let me down by dying. Yeah, they, When she died from the shark and he's just like being interviewed after, he's like, I really sure thought that she would have taken care of those sharks, but... I guess it just wasn't meant to be. <laughs> doesn't he even like say something like, "I guess I'll miss her." I guess I'll miss her. Like, <laughs> and he doesn't though, does he? Um, talking about the 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 actual characters and their characterizations in this first season, mm. they do evolve in the first season. You know, the Womp I personally feel evolves in episode four when you introduce the Blue Womp. He he, I feel like his character gets much better defined, other than just being the dumb guy. Yeah. He becomes a whiner yeah. and a whinger. With a bit of an inferiority complex. And also he, in that, comes across as a little bit smarter uh, than the other two, like than Rod and Steve, uh, than, than Rod and Mephisto, because he's noticing things that they aren't or commenting upon yeah, things. Yeah, more sensitive in that way. You also see that in the third episode where he's like, a, he, he knows, he actually can take leadership position where he's 
commanding his clones or his different versions to go down the tunnel and like he's figured out like how much money they need to get on the ferry and all of that and he's actually smart like goes back to the portal and dumps all the money so they can get more money all of that like i think that the womp does have a smart characterization but what did you think about all these characters other than steve we love steve but what did you think about these characters the other characters did you have any particular favorites or least favorite or or stuff that they did with them that you really enjoyed and were fascinated by or didn't like uh i think i was kind of neutral on all of them like again with the womp he had a bit more going on so i was a bit more generally fascinated by him uh yeah yeah and <laughs> i know this is jumping ahead but it's very interesting what season two ended up doing <laughs> yeah what about rod hot rod they do a lot with him in season one how did you feel about the journey they took with him in season one in which it's always been an underlying thing that he's a sex pest and then in season within seven episodes he becomes a full-out rapist yeah tempted Attempted rapist. Because she woke up right at the end. But then by episode eight, it's like he's into underage girls with his music video, which is fucking terrifying. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah, that was episode eight. <laughs> yes. Where he's a stalker but, as well. But I w- see you while you don't see me. Yeah, but it was a catchy song. It was a catchy song. And it was pinpoint accurate to how boy band music videos were at the time. <laughs> but what did you think about that? Was that too edgy or too overt or too dark? Because the show is surprisingly dark. There are moments where you go, fuck, that's dark. Uh, I, I but, felt that it was very honest. Because, just for context, there is a scene in which he does form a genuine, or seemingly genuine relationship with Tina T, who is a female character who replaces Mephisto, and they never give her any introduction. It's just kind of like, she's here, and you have to take it. Which is, we'll talk about how you felt about that, because I have feelings about that, but... Rod and her form bonds, and they team up together, and they work really well together, and they have a flirtatious relationship, and one that seems built on a genuine relationship of some sort. And then Rod, as soon as he gets the opportunity, while she's been knocked out from him, accidentally, but... unknowingly from him, but from him regardless. He takes the opportunity to try and sexually coerce her she, he tries to pull, he kisses her and he starts to pull down her her pants and then she wakes up and he does the old i was trying to resuscitate you and it's really gross and full-on but i think you nailed it it's honest it doesn't feel like that's not a thing the character would do because it's always been there like he's a sex like he's a weird sex yeah pest. like what's what's the other punchline like oh no he was nice all along he was misunderstood yeah he falls in love with a vending machine assassin but <laughs> <laughs> that's season two right that's season two right we don't get into tara until season <laughs> two right but like i love that because it is brutal and it is horrid but it's honest it feels real to the character it feels like if they didn't do that, then it would be that lame joke of, oh, he's an obvious creep, but they never actually act on that. But they do, because then there's that bit in episode four, we keep referring to Fear Factory, where they hear a gunshot and they run up and he's been shot in the leg. And we don't get to find out what the fuck that was yeah. about, but you know what it's about. Yeah, the, the girl that he was with is holding the gun and it was like kind of aiming at him. And you know what it was about. You know he tried to do something. Yeah. <laughs> you tried to do something bad. Yeah, you never get an answer for what it was, but... But you know, deep you, down. You deep know down. that it was something that we later learn is honest. And what about Mephisto? He's kind of the weird one in the show. 
Mephisto as a mm. character. What do you think about him? Because he's like a weird, bizarre character that you could either love or hate. But even in the special features, which, uh, man, it, they're so good. They talk about character relationships. Like, oh, it's easy. Like, make two of them brothers. Make one of them best friend to the brother that the older brother has, like, an infatuation with. And then, and then there's just Mephisto standing there. And then, you know... Sometimes it's okay just to have a character no one likes. Because <laughs> like, Mephisto, like, how is... Even in episode 8, they explain, like, why he's on the show. Like, so many people are like, Mephisto's, like, the most hated character on Australian TV, but why is he in the Fist team? He seemingly does nothing. It's like, oh, really? Well, he's his audition tape. You tell me. And it's him eating a beer bottle and crying. <laughs> Stuff like that is what I love yeah. about Mephisto or Mephisto knows. All of those segments are great. Or the fact that he's like, I think he peaks in episode four. We keep saying it, but Fear Factor is such a great episode because him and Rod hate each other, which season two forgot about, by the way. Yeah. I don't know why they forgot that. It was like the most interesting dynamic in the show outside of Blue Womp and Womp hating each other too. I, I guess it's because season, uh, sorry, episode four was the one where the characters really had to interact with each other more. Yeah, but they... <laughs> it wasn't just like, let's see what this individual. Oh, don't worry, doing. season two, they interact too, and they just forgot that dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But I love... One of my favourite gags, Bartek, with Mephisto is, all right, you get to choose between being the leader or having a gun. And Mephisto's like, give me the gun. And then Rod's like, I'm the leader. Okay, first rule as leader, Mephisto, give me the gun. <laughs> and he does. And he complies. Because <laughs> he's a security guard. He knows he has to comply. But also, he knows that there's another gun nearby. <laughs> exactly. Because the, it was a trick question. Because it was like, what's this? Is like a trapeze artist or a dickhead? It's like, there you go. Trapeze artists are dickheads. dickheads. <laughs> and Rod's offended because he's done it. um i'm trying to think of what else to say about season one oh can we talk about its open contempt for being on the abc and how glorious that is because yeah that's basically another byproduct of the the ad and you know all the hate they they get for that ad and And then the show being cancelled and anger thing yeah and that's basically the, the end of the season no, we're going to talk about how they actually do end the season. Well, of course, yes, but for the show itself. Oh, well, yeah, the, yeah. the show in the show. The show in the show, but it's like the. It's always great when. Especially Australian shows do this. Fat Pizza did it with, the S, with SBS. They have this kind of thing where. Just some shows have this cheap, grimy feel in which they're not afraid to say, we fucking hate being on TV and we fucking hate the people that are running the show behind the scenes or we hate the network or that. And whether that's the genuine feelings or not, it's so refreshing and wonderful to me to see them have open contempt, whether it's for comedic effect or not, of being on the ABC. Because the ABC did, in my opinion mistreat the show when it was originally airing they just kind of didn't, it just felt like they didn't care about yeah. it whether that's the case or not but the fact that the show comments on it is amazing and even in general it's like a line that you objectively can't really cross so the fact that they're actually doing it is like you know that's you <laughs> probably nearly objectively would not expect that what did you think about the actual end end of season one where it just 
then like he's the first ever ad and it abruptly cuts to what is a fictitious like travel log show well, which abc like cars 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 and then <laughs> abc would have that kind of show what was it called uh, town and country town something? and country with whatever that guy's name was like i actually didn't know if that was a real show or not i'm like oh, this feels really real can you imagine if you were watching that on tv and that just happened it would feel real right because abc does have and australia just has those kind of little travel log shows where it's like hello it's me, your tra- you know, your trusty traveler, and I'm just gonna start walking around this little town buying, you know, honey and shit, and like local products and local, local business. Events. And you should check out this town; it's wonderful. It's- Bye. It's like two minutes long or whatever. <laughs> Why is this on TV? <laughs> and then Why I was just looking at the runtime. It's like, is there gonna be something after this? No. Oh, that's the end of season one. That's the end of season one. Before we go to season two, Bartek, <laughs> I'd love to talk about the DVD, the DVDs. Sure. The, I don't know who was in charge of this, but the DVDs are fucking amazing. And this is why I'm disappointed we can't buy them as easily. So volume one has the anti-piracy thing that all the old DVDs had where there's... You remember that one where it was a graphic of like a, an old VHS tape and then like some text would come sideways onto the screen it had that but it's their version of that in which it's teaching you how to pirate their dvds and their show which in one of the episodes of double the fist they teach you that it's better to steal the show from a store because they still get money for it yeah which is great but this is teaching you how like it's basically the fuck you were going to teach you the menu if you leave it for too long it will just cut to random clips of the panda in random locations in Sydney, like at a train station or catching a bus. <laughs> and then there's a special features. You have all those, and they're really fun and meta and very silly, and they have deleted scenes, behind the scenes. They teach you how to make Double the Fist, and it's really funny and educational and very wacky. And then they have one that says Bargains. It's like a graphic. You press on Bargains, and it's the full ad for the Kemba Auto World. <laughs> And then you go back to the main menu and you have a quiz that you can answer called Are You Weak? Bartek, you press on it and it has the graphics that Double the Fist have with that orangey background and the metallic font and it just smashes on screen like full screen, yes. (laughs) And then you are stuck in a never-ending loop and you have to remove the DVD from your DVD player and put it back in and go through the whole thing again or else you're stuck on that screen forever. (laughs) Shit like that is what I love about physical media and creative, physical things. Yeah. And you're not going to get that on the fucking YouTube Netflix channel. Or, yeah. or on the YouTube. You don't get all their behind-the-scenes special things like that. And that's what I really miss because that was creative. It was very. It has a character. That's the thing about season one in particular. It itself, as a show, has a character itself. Not just the characters, but the show itself has an identity. It has a, it has a tone. It has a style. But it, more importantly... It gives off a character on its own. This this angry little underdog show. That's what was amazing about it. And it won an AFI and pissed off a bunch of people. And then it disappeared. Hmm. Little Ryan was watching it again and again, being like, man, I wish there was more of this. Then they said, hey, Ryan, we're going to make more of it. Bartek, let's talk season two. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to everyone. Weakness leads to death. There will be a new era in converting people to fists, and we will not rest until everyone has joined us or been destroyed. 
Alright, let's do it. Double the face! I watched season two when it came out. I was in high school. ABC did its usual thing, made a big fanfare about how they brought back this favourite show. And then pushed it back. Made it impossible, really, for younger people to really watch the show. Episodes just got later and later, in my recollection, and I didn't get to see all of the episodes. And what I did see, I didn't like. But I didn't know, but I didn't know why I didn't like it, because the season two has all the stuff that's in season one, but it's all off and weird. And I didn't understand as a kid why I didn't like the show. I was like, what is going on? Like, there's things in the show that I didn't understand. Like, why is, what is this? Why does the Womp have reindeer antlers? And even as a kid, I said, maybe I just don't get it. Maybe when I'm older and I've consumed more media and maybe I will understand references and nods and winks and all that, maybe I'll get it. I watched it again for this episode for the first time since it aired. Oh, okay. Because I didn't have second season DVD. Yeah, yeah. And I want to watch the show on physical media and I don't, again, I don't know what the deal is with the YouTube thing, but, you know, I watched it again. It's the exact same reaction I had when I was a teen, you know, early, in my early teens. I don't know what they want. Like, there were so many things in this season that I go, on paper, this should work, right? I kept saying the exact same thing, on paper, on paper. But the execution is so odd. And then there are just things in the show that I thought, maybe I'll get the antlers when I grow up. While the Womp has antlers. I don't know what that means. Why does Rod enter a door on a mountain and underneath it are people picking up things and then they grab a harpoon gun and then he runs away screaming what was that do you remember that yeah i do he said it was he was after the terrorists or something yeah because he had his memories from episode seven i understood that yeah but what were those things under the ground why are there elves why do they have distorted faces like what's going on there was so many things as a kid i was like maybe i'll understand it when i'm older I have a bigger understanding of things i'm still confused I still don't understand what's going on. I don't get what those things were. That's just me. I just... And I'm thinking, am I too dumb? Or is the show just too nonsensical? And at the end of the day, unfortunately, I have to say, season two is nonsense. A lot of it is nonsense. There's so many things that could work in on paper. Like, you think of the through line of, this is a season about Steve becomes a tyrant. That's what the through line of the show is. The slow de-evolution of Steve Fox and the Fist team, them separating, them breaking up, them falling apart, and Steve becomes basically Hitler, right? Interesting idea. Could work. But then there's just gibberish nonsense in there throughout the whole entire show that I go, why is this here? I remember, yeah, the third episode really raised a lot of eyebrows for me. Oh, you mean the one where they went to the Ikea ripoff? Is that the one? That's the, the Fist one... Furniture? Yeah. That's the one where they went to Thailand. That episode's near unwatchable to me. Like, I, 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 I just did not know what the fuck I was supposed to be getting from it. Yeah. So, Bartek, before mm-hmm. we start ripping it a new asshole of the season, because <laughs> I don't think we liked it. 
That I know I didn't like it, but you seemed like you didn't like it either. Again, there were just a few things that I thought were alright, but in general it was... Again, yeah, it was off. When I thought about things objectively, they did seem funny on paper, but then the execution was just eh. And yeah, there were many moments where I just didn't understand something and I was going to this episode being like, does Ryan get it? Am I going to seem weird for not getting it? Dude, we could talk about that, but let's talk about some positive aspects or some interesting aspects. Bartek, you're a big fan of um, the Australian TV series Pizza, Mm -hmm. aka Fat Pizza. I still call it Fat Pizza. I don't give a shit that they don't call it that. Yeah, fair enough. It always didn't wasn't didn't it start out as fat pizza? I think it started out as pizza. Then the movie was fat pizza. Then it kept being pizza. But then, fuck it, fat yeah. pizza. And you <laughs> like the some of their affiliate shows, right? Did you you watch Swift and Shift Couriers? Yeah, I think I watched all of them. Turpy Ian Turpy, who played the boss in Swift and Shift Couriers, was in the first episode of Double the Fist season two yeah. as the announcer guy of the casino. Yeah. So it was nice to see him. Mm-hmm. Second episode, the local council member guy was the actor Bruce Spence, who is in the Mad Max 2 and 3. He plays the gyrocopter guy in Mad Max 2, where he throws snakes from the sky. Mm-hmm. Cool. Fun. I mean, Ando's in the show at one point, and I, I don't really want to claim that as a great achievement, but, like, cool, cool. you got some cool little Australian personalities in the show. The show looks nice, sometimes. I'm just trying to think of person, like, <laughs> nice things to say. The camera work is more ambitious, but also I have an issue with that. They have a nicer camera. The audio sounds a bit nicer. Um, I like Mephisto's costume more in the second season. I like his full get-up. I think it's really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate the idea of a dark character study turn on our characters. There's nothing... That's the thing. All the issues that we'll talk about, a lot of them are in the first season. Like this crazy, like supernatural fantasy tone, craziness, craziness. The characters being wooden and one dimensional, but also having a lot more dimension to them. The weird cutaway gags, the music, and the, the, the of, mentality of characters. But a lot of the episodes even start the same way. Season one, it's like, hey, here's the theme, here's the mission, here's yeah. what you got to do. And it gives you this promise of like, yeah, it's like season one. Yeah. What did you like in season two? Because that's it. Oh, and I like that we um got some Aboriginal representation. It's always nice to see that on Australian TV. You surprisingly don't see it very often, but they had it here. And that's it. That's all I can really think of in terms of things I liked. Mm. What about you? What, what did you glean from the second season? So this isn't really a comedy thing. Uh, that third episode, I agree, it is pretty... Mm, it's pretty... pretty. You could say bad. Pretty bad. Um, mere unwatchable. Mere unwatchable. Uh, there were some moments, like, when you first go to that place in Thailand or, Sweden or wherever it was. Yeah, it was Thailand or whatever. Like, some of the, the ways in which they they showed that location seemed very surreal and from a surreal aspect i kind of appreciated things there like there's the very sterile lobby and they tell you go have a seat they get yeah and they trick you with comfort they that was a clever comfort. bit yeah. of that episode and the, like the, the theme of that episode was that comfort is weak um and then you know they're all sitting there and womp has this like imagination sequence where they're getting like 
overly comfortable on there. And yeah. he's like, wait, this is comfort. So, like, little things like that. There was little clever nuggets of things like that. Like, how Mephisto thinks of things was really clever as well. Yeah, and even throughout the rest of that episode, there were kind of, you know, surreal things going on with the Womp, but then eventually it just goes too far. Like, those misshapen people with the elves. weird voices, the elves, like... Odin? I, yeah. The fucking wrestler guy? I don't know what the fuck yeah, that I, was. Yeah, like, Steve's having his own story, like, he's not narrating. No. No. But, 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 <laughs> see, we're already on the yeah. negatives. What were other things that you enjoyed? Was there anything funny to you? There was literally one gag I la- audibly laughed at, and that is a big no-no for me, because season one, I laugh so, I laugh out loud so often. Bartek knows this, but, like, mm. I love comedy stuff, but really, like, I'm not always laughing out loud at things, but that doesn't mean I don't find it funny. Like, mm. I can, I'm more of a, like, a good portion of the time, like, 70% of the time, I'm just quietly going, hmm, yeah, that was good. Like, I like that. Like, because mm. I'm, I, I like observing comedy. But this is Same, season yeah. one, I'm laughing out loud, as were you, and uh, I would imagine. You're laughing out loud. A lot of observing, but, like, there a lot of observing. Season two... One literal laugh I got out of it, but I won't tell you what it is yet. I want to hear from you if you got any other good things or, or things that were funny to you. I guess I can think of two things. Like, in the very last episode, when the assassin turns into a little girl and... <laughs> and then dies immediately. And, and then Rod... Well, no, the spot where, like, Rod gives her a very, like, cliche, you're free. <laughs> like, that got a laugh out of me to the point that, like, I was giggling a fair bit and I kind of overlooked the fact that she was killed. I'm like, oh, oh, she was killed? Okay, yeah, but yeah. then the first thing was funny. Um, and the... And th- there's a lot of bizarreness to this one, but the, the sensitive overweight men in the forest kind of dude lovely. you and i are on opposite parts because i fucking couldn't <laughs> stand that the beginning of their part i liked I, for me it was just too predictable you know was... oh you, animal skin what animal are they gonna get it's gonna be well, no, no, that part wasn't the funny but no the specifically it's like where they're like but are you strong enough to do this and then they start crying like that got to me because i saw where they were going you, with it. yeah you and i on different parts my immediate reaction to that was steve punch him punch him in the fucking face i'll tell you my one gag that i got a genuine laughter out of mephisto is basically asking steve to hold off on the battle the great battle in the final episode for all of his army to arrive basically saying you don't have the guts enough to verse a full army steve plus you were gonna have it after the supper. Carol's done the Carol's been working on this all week and it cuts to the and it just pans over to this woman just cutting food. She looks aggressive. And Steve obliges it by being like, out of respect for Carol. Yeah, that and that was like literally the only gag I liked because I felt like Steve. Yeah. That felt like Steve Fox. That felt it, it like did. the Steve we know. He would do that. As psychotic as he was in season one, he had these code of honor, which the show forgets. Like in at the end of season one, we didn't say this, but at the end of the plot episodes of season one because season one's episode eight isn't a plot episode it's like a special edition yeah steve dies or sacrifices himself to stop terrorism from destroying the world and starting a new society of of fist worthy people season two he becomes the terrorists basically he wants to wipe out all weakness through physical force which is what they were wanting to do and rule the world with his superior fist worthiness um but Steve, at the end of that episode, he gets called out, like, why are you stopping us? Is it because you care? You actually care about people. And it was a nice little moment of, you, yeah, Steve does care. Steve, constantly throughout the show, as, ex- as exaggerated as he is as a character, 
He cares. Yeah. Season two, they for- it's like it's not. I don't want to say that they forgot, but they just didn't apply that. Immediately, he comes back down to Earth, and what is the best sequence in the whole entire show? Him grabbing his sunglasses in space and rocketing down. That was amazing. But immediately, he's he's a completely different character. A completely different character. We were left with Steve actually has a heart, and he actually cares, and he actually has some form of morals to a season in which he doesn't have anything of resembling that. Yeah, he's flung off Earth, four years pass, he comes back, he's different. And there's not enough explanation for why that is. Mm. The closest you get is he's, he's disgusted that weakness as, is at an all-time high, and he just points to a chart, and that's it. That's all we get. You could say, oh, Panda dying, but that doesn't happen until midway through the show, and he's already being psychotic by that point. And that moment where he says, out of respect for Carol, it was funny, but it felt like a Steve gag. That would be something Steve would say. And that was why it was funny to me. It was, oh, it's a Steve gag. That's it. That was it. Yeah. And that's it. That's That's where the nice things end for me. Honestly, because I'm really trying to think of other things. When we finished the series, season two, my wife said out loud, because the last thing you see in the show is the beloved character of Womp gets shot in the fucking face, and then they fly off. My wife just said, I fucking hate this show. At the end of season one, she was really keen to know what season two was going to do with about Steve. Like, where are they going to go with that? Like, she was like, oh my god. Because she had already seen this show, but she hadn't seen season two. Yeah. Season two, by the end of it, she was like, I don't want to fucking see anymore. That means that the season didn't work. I, I have an investment in the show. I, I, I like the show from a kid. Rachel doesn't have that, and you don't have that. At the end of season two, would you want to see more from that universe or those characters, honestly? Yeah, well, the- would you want to see a season three? Like, I know they won't get, they weren't ever going to do it. I don't think. But would you have wanted, like, at the end of season two, were you like, yeah, I want to, see- I want more? I'd probably just say leave it at that. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Because, because there comes a point where, I mean, it's it's a comedy show. It's meant to make you laugh. And when the when the premise of the second season is these characters are evil and they're getting more evil, what's going to be the punchline of every scene? They do something evil. And if you just keep doing, oh, the funny thing this time was they do something evil or dark, it gets repetitive. Yeah. And if it doesn't work in the first place, it's probably not going to work as it keeps going. I mentioned before that the season one had a character as a show. Yeah. And this is a a lazy critique to give, but it's one that's so apt, and I, I can't describe it any further, but the character of the show, not just the characters within, not just the tone, but the character of the show is off. It's just off. Mm. You, it just isn't right. And I know that they... Sh- but you have to say, too, well, they can't just repeat what they did in season one. Because that was four years ago, and they got cancelled, time's passed, and people want, you know, you can't just go back to the way it was, because that's a weakness, like, that, that many shows have fallen on their face doing that too. You've got to do something new, a new approach, but not too new, not too different. And this show tried to do both, but didn't like the old. There were so many times where they tried to do the old format of, like, cutaway gags, of, like, them using the finger guns, that was, felt like very season one. Or them having a challenge in which this is your mission. 
But then it felt like the show didn't want to do those and felt annoyed by doing those and felt obligated to do those at a certain point and then eventually just stopped doing them. Mm. Like, it had the facade of doing them, like, oh, we're going to stop the invasion, you have this many minutes. But what made the show was each team member would approach the task at hand in their specific way. But in season two, Steve is a character in the missions and he just tells them what to do. And, it's all... and he tells them in his way to do it, and they just do it for the most part. They just do it in their way. And the only one who doesn't is Mephisto, and Mephisto's constantly shit on for doing it in his way. Yeah, and it's presented in a very linear, not much skipped narrative structure, whereas in the first season, you saw bits of it, and it actually felt like, you know, a, a TV show, a game show. It's like, all right, let's cut to the, like, let's, let's cut out the fluff. Here's them doing it this way, and then later on, here's them continuing from here. Yeah. There was the illusion that this was a, re- a, a, a challenge reality show. The second season made it feel like this is a narrative-driven show, and they wanted to have the facade that it's a TV show, but they also didn't want it to have that because yeah. it wouldn't make any sense. And also, one of the aspects of the first season that they never really explained was, like, what is Panda? And then this season, they make Panda something, and then when it's killed off for real, it's meant to be a big emotional moment. <sighs> There's just... It's off. All the character... Okay, I'll give this one thing. There's literally only one character in the entire show that felt accurate. Rod Fox. He felt like a natural evolution from what we had seen of him in season one. He didn't feel off to me. I don't know if you felt the same, but Rod Fox... His character felt right to me. The others all felt wrong. They all felt weird. Like, Mephisto was weird and off. Steve, we all have a whole speech about Steve. We've already kind of gone into it. But And Womp, I don't know. They tried to make Womp deeper, which he's a two-dimensional character. How much depth can you give? Like, you know, they were already giving him some depth in season one. But, uh, but Rod felt like the only one to me who felt like a natural evolution of what we had seen from season one they just cranked up his sex pest nature they cranked up his ego they cranked up his stupidity and that was good because he was a simple character and they kept him simple but the other characters they wanted to give more depth or more nuance and it didn't feel right it didn't feel like these are the characters this doesn't feel natural this doesn't feel maybe you could do these things if you gave more time and did it in a more paced out way but you immediately cut and it's like fucking Mephisto's helping vampires and the Womp is doing this and Steve's yelling all the time and he's not doing that inflection that you love so much. Mm. He's got long hair and that's a static, but like, what's going on? And Rod Fox, to me, was the only one who felt natural to the transition between the two seasons. Like, he felt like, yep, that's, that's Rod Fox. He was the only one that felt right. How did you feel about that? Yeah, now that you mention it, that does seem pretty right, yeah. It's like he, he gained an insecurity in between, and that's about it. Which yeah. is his hair. Yeah, which is his hair, and that's... That's it. I mean, season one, he didn't give a shit about hair. He waxed it off. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Episode one, even. Yeah, episode one. Um, a full leg wax. Bikini line, Steve. <laughs> Bikini line. He felt like the only one that was true to the character. The rest of them... It's so hard to critique this season because all of it on paper... Not all of it, God forbid, I can't say that. But a lot of it on paper should work. And a lot of it is in season one. 
a lot of the weirdness, a lot of the zaniness, a lot of the character things are in season one. But for some reason, the execution of it is just all wrong in season two. And it stresses my brain that at the time as a kid, I couldn't figure out why. And as an adult, I can still, I still am struggling to figure out why this is. I just... Okay, Bartek, there's a phrase that we really, really got hammered home to in university studying drama. And it's a phrase I didn't know when I watched this this second season, but it's a phrase that I that my brain was forming when I watched it. Kill your darlings. Mm-hmm. Kill, kill your, your babies too sometimes. Kill your babies. But kill your darlings, kill your babies. Which is, you have a great idea. You think it's a wonderful idea. You want to put it in your show. But it doesn't match. It's it's perfunctory. It's not adding to anything. You remove it. You've got to serve the story. You've got to serve the characters. But, you know, maybe you want to put in uh, a sex scene, say, if you're Tommy Wiseau. It doesn't serve anything. But you want it. I want to have this. I want to have a car that shoots off into space. I want to... I want to have all these crazy things. This show is filled with that. Where you just go, guys, 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 kill your darlings. You could tell. Because think about it, Bartek. These guys got offered to come back, do this show. They're never going to get an opportunity like this again. You're drunk on power. I want to put everything in. Everything is put in. And none of it's removed. Maybe these things could work if it was placed better. But it's just like, nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. I want vampires. I want uh, fucking reindeer antlers. I want this. I want this. I want this. I want to put in this. Everything in the kitchen sink. This show is suffering from no one saying, guys, you got to kill your darlings on this, okay? You you don't need this. Yeah, just keep the essential stuff that does work. But no one, it's, it's like no one came in and said that. Yeah. No one. Can we talk about what was the what are some of the most perplexing moments? What were some of the perplexing moments that you were like, what was this? Um, there was a mime. Oh, you mean one of the umbilical brothers? That's one of the umbilical brothers. Those two comedians that do the noises. There the, was a mime. <laughs> you, you don't know the umbilical brothers, don't you? I don't think so, no. Yeah. The other one was in it as the two twin guards. That was like, one always tells a lie, the other one always tells the truth. So, mm. there was a mime. So, you were perplexed by the mime, huh? But well, the mime had a theme going on. We found a voice. Yeah, he, he was... Help he, motivate Steve. He had a dramatic end where he he was mute all along. That's why he didn't make a noise. I get what they were going for with that, but who cares? <laughs> like, am I wrong? I know it's a very harsh critique, but but who fucking cares about Panda falling in love with a fucking mime and there's like a tragic story and Steve gets triggered about it and then at the end, Steve at his low point gets risen up by the ghost and it's very Shakespeare. And it's like, oh, it was a mime, and he was mute, and he wrote it down, and, and it's tragic and irony. Like, who? I don't care as a viewer about it. It just feels false. Yeah, his his introduction even was nonsensical. It's like, oh, here's all the old people going to the pokies, and there's a mime. It felt shoehorned in. Yeah. It felt like a manipulation. We need to manipulate the emotions of the audience and of the characters. <sighs> I just, yeah, that was perplexing, but that one's not really because as perplexing because 
There's an answer to that. You can yeah. see the rationale why that's there. It just doesn't work. Mm. There's not enough time spent on it. Panda's not a character. So you're trying to add depth to a non-character. Like, they never gave Panda any kind of deep characterization in any other episodes. The deepest you get is the golf one, where Panda's kind of like got a surly attitude, and that's kind of prevalent throughout the cutaways where Panda will fuck up the one dressed as a rabbit. That's it. It's literally, Panda dies a gajillion times. Also, second season throws a... Second season wants to have the cartoon logic of people can die and come back, but they also want to have that death as a permanent thing with consequences. Mm. That's kind of weird. Like, it doesn't work. It could work, but it doesn't. Um, Could you explain to me the antlers? What is that? I know that they were supposed to be a symbol of responsibility, but why are they there? The Womp just grows antlers, and then they disappear when he feels like he failed in his role of responsibility as a leader. What, what was that? What was that? I remember that there was a point where he got them and that there was a point where he lost them, but I'm... You don't remember he was chained up and his pet Tamagotchi toy came on the screen for no reason and told him that he had to get responsibility. Then he grew antlers and then he lost them when the fucking elves died and they're like, you're a terrible leader. And then he lost them because he lost responsibility because he failed as a leader. But what is that? Is that a reference to something? Is that a reference to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Narnia? What is that? I, I, As a kid, I was really trying to figure out, what the hell is this? Could you tell me, as an adult, could you tell me what that was? <laughs> is that some kind of in-joke that the creators of the show had and that we could never figure out? Right? I, I think I just have to give the answer. No, I don't know. No one knows. No <laughs> one knows. I'm perplexed by that. What the... F- I said it before, but what the fuck was that bit on the mountain where Rod Fox goes inside a door and there's, like, things under there and they grab a harpoon and they're, like, picking, what is it, weed or hay? We don't know. It's silhouetted. And they grab a harpoon gun and then he runs away and we never see them again. Why was that included? What was that? Could you give me an answer what that was? Was that a reference to something again? Was that an inside joke? What was that? I think that was just a callback that had no meat to it. Well, no, no. Him saying the words before he entered that door is a callback with him being like, gotta get the terrorists. But once it's physically down there in the mountain and there's those silhouetted yeah, figures... Yeah, it has nothing to do with the terrorist plot from the first season. And it has nothing to do with anything. Did those guys relate to those monks... In the Fist Temple? No. No, they probably didn't even exist. What were they? What was it? What was it? What was it? Like, these are the things that perplex me. Like, why? 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 There's just so much visual garbage, it feels like. Oh, we've got to have Rod Fox have a dance number. Remember that? Yeah, there was... And there's yeah. an answer to that, because he's stuck in the mountains freezing to death, and he's got he's insane. But, but oh, right, at the end of the episode. But yeah. why was that there? Why did they include that? Why was that given time? Because character going crazy is funny on paper, or maybe not, I don't know. Any other things that you found, like, like what was that? Like, why was this here? In the Perplexing. S- in the same episode, I can't remember if there was an explanation for this or not, but there's a part where gravity reverses. 
<laughs> they kind of give a half-hearted explanation where it's like, oh, it's not spinning, we are. And then they like lift up and then the earth stops. And I, I don't know. What was the Fist Temple about? Steve trained there, and then he left because they were a bunch of pussies. But like, what do they but do? But they're they're better than him, though. But they're not, because you know. They... Oh, I just remembered something else. I found a bit funny. Oh yeah. It was in the last episode when there was the flashback to young Steve and young Rod because the young Steve kind of did have some of the vocal inflections from. He's like he watched season one. Yeah. But I hate that. I hate that we get a fucking backstory on his fucking glasses. They're not just glasses. They're supernatural. Yeah, yeah. F- fuck the glasses, but I just mean... They made him evil. Yeah. Except for he was already evil before he had the he glasses. Was, he was being a dick to his brother, yeah. Like, I don't get what they were going for with some of that. I get the, let's make Steve a tyrant. Although I don't understand the journey that they went through with that. Because, like I said... At the end of season one, it was reinforced that he actually has a heart, that mm-hmm. he actually does care, that he does not approve of the fist nature being used for tyranny and evil. Season two, he's all for that. Mm. He's immediately a different character. Now, you said your favorite character was Steve. So how heartbroken were you with Steve in season two? Because it's not the same character. Yeah. It's a completely different character. Yeah, and Rachel I was waiting for it to be revealed that it was Cyber Steve or, or <laughs> you know, like Terminator Steve that they revealed in the real special Steve, edition. The real Steve did die in space. Uh, yeah, it was, it sucked. And because I didn't really invest myself in any other character too much, I couldn't really even turn to them. So it was just like, oh, yeah, he, he's, there's a shadow of that character I liked here. He's... He's not being a host. He doesn't have the microphone. He's not going around just commentating. He's not observing. He's not observing. He's selling shit furniture. Yeah. Whoop-de-doo. There is an interesting nugget there, though, which is when Steve is given the opportunity to do one of their challenges, he gives up easily and Womp calls him out for it. And that was great. That could have been a great episode of season one where in one of the episodes Steve has to participate in a challenge and wouldn't that have been funny or wouldn't that have been an interesting turn that Steve is all talk and all bluster but he doesn't actually have the experience that they do of putting themselves out there that's a that was a great little scene where he wants snapping his legs and calling him a weak dog and doing all the Steve stuff to Steve in the snow right yeah in the snow when they're falling down that was good but it was in a shitty episode that was all nonsense. And, and uh, who cares about the guy who wants to see dolphins? I don't give a shit about him. Mr. Medieval Guardman of Fist Temple. And he's convinced by Mephisto because he loves dolphins. Yet he's never seen a dolphin. You're giving me this look like, oh, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, that I was remember, a big I thing. I was trying to remember what name they gave him because it was a weird one. I don't care. Dolphin Man. Like, this is what I mean. I literally do not care about any of these other characters. Like, I like Tara somewhat to an extent. I think it's just because the actress did a good job. I don't think the character was anything special. And they went weird directions with her <coughs> rape. But Steve was such a disappointment. You're right. He's, he's not doing the host role. But is there an inherent flaw in the idea of transferring that character from a host role to an actual participant. Is there is it impossible to do that? 
No, I think it's totally possible because we saw him at the end of the first season being a man of action. So, what about how they did it in this doesn't work? Well, a lot of the times he's away from the action is a big problem. Um, But I guess with that being said, like the second last episode where they're at Botany Bay, he is part of the action most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Or the one at the Fist Temple. At the Fist Temple, yeah. Or, yeah. I. But what about it just doesn't... I still struggle. I think it's just his characterization's fucked. Because it's like they wanted to, they reverse-engineered the show, I think. It's like they knew what the end point was, and they had to manufacture it to get there. Steve turns evil, so we have to have Steve be evil. But... Like, Steve was psychotic and definitely not a great guy in the first season, but you wouldn't say he was pure evil. No, yeah, he had the ideology, and I kind of bought it, where he wanted weak people to become fist-worthy, and I think even at the end of the logging episode, he had a soft spot for the forests, right? And 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 Mephisto, he was like, hey, it's great to see you again, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, and he, he he had tender moments like that, like... Whenever he called Womp Wompy after he did yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And, ooh, look at the ass on that one. <laughs> Which, again, the first season planted little seeds of his latent attraction to the Womp. But season two just is like, we're going to crank that shit up to 11, where at the end they kiss. And you get, th- I don't know, I was thrown off. Don't know how you were with the full-on making-out sesh between Womp and Steve at the end, but it kind of just felt like, Kill your darlings. Like, that was an idea that they always wanted to have in there, and they just put it in there. See, because Steve was wearing the sunglasses, I thought he was passed out. No, 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 they were making out. That's why he kills him at the end, because you chose love. Right, yeah. But, what was the... I think it's just that Steve's characterization and performance is so much more... It's less interesting, because, see, all he does is a, is a performer. I think Craig Anderson really nails it in season one. He evidently is a great actor, or at least he can play Steve Fox really well in that first season. But season two, it's all just shouting. That's all it is. It's just anger, 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 shout, shout, shout. There's no nuances. There's no hidden depths or interesting inflections or mannerisms or anything that would make it a a character is just a shout, 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 angry, vile man. Evil, anger, shout, dark, and those are the punchlines to most of the jokes. It's just he shouts and punches and that's it. There's nothing clever there in the performance, which there was in season one. And it's disappointing because as an adult, I think Steve Fox is the best character as well. But in season two, I think it's Rod Fox because he was consistent. Mm. The Womp was weird. They wanted to keep that childlike innocence babiness to him. That's like a dumb guy. But they also wanted to make him like the future hope for humanity. And there was like the, ooh, will he, will he or won't he? It's like, of course he won't. Of course he Did you ever question that he would kill Steve? To save the future? Yeah, I didn't yeah. because it's, it's the Womp. <laughs> we already saw the future and evidently that's where they're going oh oh here's another one of a what the fuck was that why was there a dinosaur in the botany bay oh that the thing that ate Mephisto. Mephisto yeah why was that there that was weird because before he was eaten it sounded like he summoned it yeah for a purpose but then for the rest of the episode he was gone so it was like 
And then he killed it and... And then it turned into a fossil and he exploded out of it, even though it's not even thousands of years before. It's like literally like, whatever. <laughs> okay. Oh, just I'm straining because that first season is so great. I think it is a great piece of television. I recommend it highly. The first, the first season is just, okay, wonderful. It's one of those things in which, was it lightning in a bottle? Do you think the first season could have just been a one-off? Like it was just a, 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 all the all the circumstances, the moon, you know, the sun aligned with the moon, and it was just by happenstance that it turned out the way it was. And maybe, unfortunately, it was a happy miracle that it got cut off at season one. Do you think it could be that? Because it's the same creative team. They've been given more money. They've been given more abilities to do things, and this is what they give us in season two. Uh. To redirect and rephrase the question a bit more to you, what if after season one was finished, you were to go to the the team that made it and say, make one more episode? Do you think that one more episode would fuck it up in a way that season two did, or do you think it would be one more episode that would be in line with how season one went? I think if it was straight after... Like, straight after the show got cancelled, it would have been good. But I think the time period, like, the four years or whatever, I don't think so, no. I think that they should have just made another show. At the end of the day, I think that they should have just made an, an, yeah, like like a, a completely new show. Spiritual successor or something completely brand new. Or, something yeah. new. Don't make another Double the Fist. But people wanted another Double the Fist, so that's what we got. And unfortunately, this is what we got. Mm. But what do you think? Do you think, like... This is just a case of this was luck. The circumstances, the because when you do see it, the first season has it's rough around the edges. You see a boom mic here, you see a cameraman there, you see all. It's not a perfect show, but it's simple. I don't know. I think they just fucked up. I think they just fucked up. I don't. Too. I don't think it was luck or bad luck. I think it's just yeah. They had a. They didn't have a great follow up. I, yeah, but I do wonder if they had a continuous run, how the show would have gone, because a part of me is just being cynical, but I think maybe it was luck. A part of me does think, like, maybe the circumstances of how that first season was put together restricted them. You know, they had a lower budget, they weren't getting the airtime that other shows were getting, you know, they won an AFI and everyone was pissed off at them, they... You know, they were new, you know, they had made a couple of short films, but this is their first show. All of that kind of stuff. I wonder if it was all the circumstances of that that produced this show in the way it was. You get four years of stewing of, you know, we got cancelled. How fucking dare they? Or like, whatever the mentality was, it's four years of stewing in whatever. And then you get the opportunity to come back. And you get to do whatever you want. And this is what we get. And it's unfortunate. I'm trying to think of what else to say about season two. There's just too much to say. Like, there's so much in there. Yeah, it feels like an episode by episode based. Like, all right, what happened in this one? What happened in this one? What are some things you want to bring up about season two? Because there's a lot in there. I guess one of the ideas that I liked on paper that just didn't work was, like, when he did have the whole furniture business and like everything mm. kept getting cancelled and they weren't selling anything. I did like the idea of, you know, absolutely ridiculous thing. Furniture that, you know, hurts people is mm. is meant to be, you know, super tough. 
reality just bites it and it's like of course that will fail of course no one wants to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. of course no one wants to be hurt like that's funny but yeah the the way the episode plays it out like it didn't really you know do anything do anything with that idea yeah i season 2 is just a show that ditched what season 1 was about because there are no there are no real challenges. There's the facade of a challenge, but really it is it's here's mi- the plot here's of the, plot. the episode. The missions are all self-serving to an end goal. Yeah. There is no challenge or the characters approach it in their different ways. They somewhat do, but really it feels manufactured or it feels like Steve wants them to do it in a specific way or this or this and this. And, and also because they have a more I guess, stronger desire to characterize. We have to have a lot of focus of, like, you know, the character interactions of, like, oh, I made a TV show of my own. Oh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and Rod then, and, and Mephisto then a, are friends, and then Rod betrays him, and Mephisto's angry. It's like, well, they never liked each other. That's It was great. You could have done some funny stuff in that, like, cumulative 30 seconds. <sighs> yeah, you know, and special effects. Season one, charming. They were never good. But they were effective. They were used effectively. And a lot they of them, got the point across. They added to the comedy. A lot of them sucker punched you like you weren't expecting them. Season two, they're so prevalent. They're distracting. And more importantly, they detract. They detract from the thing. And I just got to say it. They're fucking hideous a lot of the time. The show, camera work, is mixed. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse, but the quality of the camera and the audio is much better. But then you've just got terrible green screen, like not charming green screen or charming effects, but hideous to look at, just gross. It's like the, whenever there's the mass fight scenes where like a bunch of enemies appear and... Yeah. And they're all on green screens and it's not charming like it was in season one. There's so many times where it's like in season one they would film in a real location and they would add CG elements, but in this, they've got a green screen of that location because they can film there, or whatever, to do the action, it would be too hard. Mm. And the CG was just all in your face, all the time, all the time, all the time. Like, even the end credits. All the end credits to the first season are very, like, fast, and they, it's like they don't give a shit, and they add funny little jokes in there. Season <laughs> yeah. two, it's like, it's that, but it's times ten. It's like, let's crank it up, let's crank it up. And it's like, I could not watch the end credits with any enjoyment, because it's just a lot of visual nonsense at you i think one episode also fucked up with the opening and i don't know if this was meant to be funny or not but in one of the episodes you know how it shows like the character and then like the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. text of their name in one episode they didn't show rod fox or panda's names oh i didn't notice that like, interesting like maybe i'm misremembering but i'm pretty sure there's one episode where they just didn't show their names hmm, i gotta check that out i didn't I, again i didn't notice that. i kind of got glazed over i think it was one of the earlier episodes because yeah but panda obviously so yeah it would have been one they of the first just four. yeah the special effects are really abhorrent they just have bad actors too like a lot of the competition winners they can't act and they were probably people who helped spot like help bring the show back i know that there was a lot of people who who did help bring the show back they got to be in scenes or whatever and that's cool unfortunately a lot of them weren't great actors or at least they didn't feel convincing and that was a bother set. Ando, as the computer hacker uh, guy who owns the time zone thing, 
he was really playing up the I'm doing an Asian guy accent, and it was just like terrible. Mm. I don't know if you remember that. But no, I remember, yeah, Crackpot or whatever his name was. Awful. Awful. And I like Ando. I think he's a charming guy, but either he can't act or he had an I they had an idea or he had an idea of I'm gonna do this funny accent. And it just didn't work. It was just like, oh, this is a character. It was funny when the characters in the show that we have are characters, but everyone else is normal. Yeah. Like the terrorists, they were just guys in season one, episode seven. They were just normal dudes. It was funny that they were fans of the show. Yeah. But they weren't like zany characters. You had the German guy, and he was just like, I'm an evil German guy saying exposition. But he wasn't like a zany, zany, zany character. But Ando, he's just playing a zany character. And then at the end, he's alive somehow. And they have all these gimmicks. Like he explodes, he dies like a video game where he has like the rations pop up. It's like Metal Gear Solid type thing, right? Yeah. Just visual nonsense. Like, why is that there? Oh, because it's funny? But I didn't find it funny. And that's the thing. Humor's subjective. But in the end of the day, the biggest crime of this show is not just characterization, but it just wasn't funny. For a comedy show, it's supposed... That's the bare minimum. Be funny. And it wasn't. Mm. At the end of it, my wife said, I fucking hate this show. And at the end of season one, she loved it. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Um, can we talk about how the show does a great job of dealing with sexual assault in season two by saying, let's rape the rapist? Good job. Good job. Good job, Rod. Like, it makes sense. Like, that could work. As terrible as it is, it could work. In the zany, mean-spirited comedy way. Where Tara, the vending machine assassin thing, who I... I cannot stand that, by the way. The actress is great, but I, I don't like that whole fucking stupid sci-fi bullshit. Well, she wants the tokens, right? She wants the tokens. But she, you know, she rapes him, basically, with her whatever she had done there we didn't get to see. And it's supposed to be funny because, you know, Rod Fox is is a rapist, basically. And it's funny, the rapist got raped. That's funny. It could work. Could work. With the tone and the spirit that this show has had, and even that season has, it could work. However, it is a little odd that they kind of do have a flirtatious thing again when she's back. Mm. And it feels genuine. And I'm like, both of them are horrible people. Why should I feel any remote thing for the fact that they do like each other? You know what I mean? Yeah. Rod Fox should never be capable of having actual love. Even though their love is a fucked up thing. Just think what he did to Tina. And we never see her again after season one. Good, because she's like, I'm out. <laughs> I stabbed him. But I don't know. That was just so fucking weird. It's like, we're going to add this sexual element here. Okay, Rod Fox's sex pest. They cranked it up to 11. They did a good job. But then at the end, it's kind of like, oh, well, he's still rewarded, though. Because he loved her. She died saving him. She self-sacrificed. You know, she, she, unwill- she didn't mean to, but she did. Yeah. And it's supposed to be sweet. And I just didn't buy it. Not then, at all. And then she became a little girl and died. And then died. <laughs> and that's season two, isn't it? I'm trying to think, what else do we want to bring up? Uh, how many fists do you give it? No fists. Okay. Seriously, though, what did you think of the Steve being the dictator of the world at the end? And how that whole plot line panned out with we saw the future and what it became and the womp resistance brigade and the womp didn't stop it and it 
fulfilled itself and all of that and then he dies and Steve is pure Hitler now. How was that for you? Yeah, no feast. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> just It's just so bittersweet. And it could be a good bittersweet, but you just don't like it. It's, where, where does the sweet come in? Well, no, like, bittersweet in terms of, like, we enjoyed a thing. Yeah. And now it's turned, like, bittersweet of, like, oh, the Womp tried. You know, the Womp fell in love and it, and it bit him in the ass and all that. And you're like, oh, it's just such a bittersweet ending. Like, ugh. I think it's straight up downer. It's a downer ending. Yeah, right. It just, it could work, but it just doesn't work. And at the end, it's just like you hear the Double of Fist theme song have lyrics, but you can't even hear what the lyrics are because the music's so loud and you just don't care. The show's over and there's no promise of a third season and nor do you want to see one. And that's Double the Fist. Strong first season, weak second season. I feel bad because I would love to talk to any of the people who worked on this show and interview them and chat to them. I think they're interesting people. They've gone on to do interesting projects. I have enjoyed other things they've all worked on. I physically have met one of them, by the way. I've met the Womp in mm. real life. I've told this to you before, but there's a... I met him at a music festival, the big day, the big day out, uh, in between the two seasons. So, and he told us his name. He's like, "Oh, my name's Tony." And my dad and I, are like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever, Womp." We just kept calling him Womp because that's what he is. <laughs> and he's not really gone on to do anything. He's like the one out of the out of the four that hasn't really gone on to do anything that I'm aware of. But so, are you saying that there is a chance that you meeting him fucked up season two? Maybe by me asking <laughs> him, "Where can I find a volume volume two? Because no one, we couldn't find it. He's like, volume two, season two, that's a great idea. he's telling us that, oh, it hasn't been distributed yet, but we're getting on it. It's like, okay, cool. But, and he was there with a girl who, we're like, oh, your girlfriend. He's like, oh, no, no. Something was going on. Tony, something was going on there. I know, I know, I remember. He remembers you too. I mean, I wonder how frequently for him, like a 12-year-old child or 13-year-old child would come up to him at a music festival and talk to him for a solid half hour about Double the Fist happened to him. I wonder how often. I mean, I would remember that if I was him, but maybe he has had that frequently happen to him. Who knows? But Double the Fist, a show that is a unique Australian thing that has been forgotten unfortunately or at least hasn't been like held up to the esteem that it i think should i think that first season is worth watching i think one of the comment sections for one of the first episode mentioned that a uh, uh, internet celebrity yahtzee recommended it somewhere so mm. Maybe that can be an in some obscure facet of the internet. But unfortunately, it hasn't been talked about. It hasn't been thought about in a while. And that's a bummer. But at the same time, season two did kind of stomp it into a grave for me. <laughs> I really did think as an adult, I'm going to appreciate this. I'm going to notice. I know what they're doing. Like, I'm going to know that Steve Fox is an evil tyrant and it's going to gel better. And it just didn't gel better. Mm-mm. It's a bummer. It's sad. Bartek, I'm glad that you sat down and watched Double the Fist. I was like, oh, is he going to hate this show? Because you have a very selective taste when it comes to television comedy. Yeah. Yar. And you don't watch a lot of Australian television comedy shows. You seem more like, I like pizza. 
And that's the kind of it. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Like a bunch of the ones I listed at the start of this, like Life Support Review with Miles Barlow and so on, those aren't shows you've seen or heard of, really. No, I've mainly watched, like, Chaser stuff, Chris Lilly, Pizza. That's not, it. Not all that much. Not all that much. I've watched a bunch, and there's a lot of shows I enjoy that I just wish were in better circulation, and this is one of them. And uh, Double the Fist had, like, yeah, it had this underdog quality to it, in which it felt like, you know, they pushed it back, and no one was watching it, and then it somehow won a prestigious award and pissed everyone off, and then somehow the fans got it to come back. And it was amazing. And they were interviewed on Triple J about it and the radio station. And, and, and they got the second season and the ABC did the same fucking thing again. And But reasonably so, I guess, because season two to me is a disappointment. It's one of the big disappointments. It is one of the first things, Bartek. I don't know if you have anything like this. One of those things where you're like, man, I wish there was more of this. And then you got more of it, and it was trash, and you just go, man, I really wish that I didn't get more of this. <laughs> Do you have stuff like that? I feel like I have had that, but my mind is slipping. Probably an anime of some sort. Maybe. I wish I had more Death Note. Well, it's that the live-action movie. Huzzah! No! <laughs> the Japanese one or the American one? Both. I haven't seen either. Both. I think there's more than two, but I haven't seen any of them. All of them. Bartek... Thank you for being fist-worthy, talking about Double the Fist for an exuberant amount of time. I don't think anyone's talked about Double the Fist for this long. <laughs> I'm surprised it went for this long as well. I, I truly think that I am, what was the season two thing, Man of Fist? You're Man of Fist. That's the thing. There's a surprising amount of depth to this seemingly shallow show in which at first it's like, oh, it's just a silly little zany show in which they do this. But the first season evolves a lot of stuff. And then the second season is a complex mess. It's not just like a boring mess. I was never bored. I was frustrated throughout. That's what I would describe. But it's a complex and fascinating mess in which you just say, wow, I don't know how they got this made. Other than like people wanted it, I guess. But like, how did the ABC look at these episodes and go, yeah. That should be on our channel. I don't know. Maybe it was they more. Did. Maybe it was more of a. This is what they wanted. I give it to them. But I that's guess. also <laughs> what you could say as a positive about season one, where they looked at it and said, "Yeah, that should be on our channel." I don't know, but it's amazing. Bartek, thank you very much again, listening people. You can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter. Spit and Polish presents. Our email is spitandpolished at gmail dot com. Uh, you can email us with your thoughts. Are you fistworthy? You could email us with suggestions for our weekly show in which we talk about a movie that has come recommended. And if you are one of the legendary uh, fist team and you, you want to talk to us, I would love to chat. Spitandpolished at gmail.com. I mean, I'd love to chat, although I know that you probably wouldn't want to chat to us because we just fucking wiped our ass with season two longer than we talked about how great season one was. But truly... Season one was a piece of art that has only four musical stings in the entire show. And when you binge watch the show, it's really noticeable that they only have like four or five music, like music tracks. I liked it. I liked it when, when Panda tapped the cigarette to their mouth. 
I thought that was funny. I thought you would like it when that Edith's introduction was a Bollywood type introduction where it froze in place and a bunch of these psychedelic flowers came on screen and they played <laughs> Indian Bollywood music. I thought you'd like that. I don't remember that music, but I liked Edith as a character very much. I liked her when, moment where she was like, ah! Or when she made her tea. When she made fist-worthy tea by boiling it in her hands and pouring it down her throat. I think Edith was very undervalued. She was... She. She. I don't know... Dar- the amazing Darren was pretty good. I don't need no key. I'll figure it out on my way down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Bartek? Yeah? Are you weak? No, I'm man, man of f- 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 fists. Yes! And I just extend the yes for an eternity. <laughs> yes! And then Edith and I go, ah. And then Ando goes, oh, hey, oh, I don't know. Also, if you're an ancient demigod listening to this podcast and you've given us a five-star review, you better keep on listening. And you better keep on giving us five-star reviews or I'll hunt you down and fight you. <laughs>